thank you everyone for coming. So um, my name is Bevan Adam For those of you who don't know me, I'm the vice president of the Student Bar Association. And welcome to the character and fitness panel. So we've got two guests here from the third department. We got Mr. Anthony Moore, and then we have Ms. Courtney Green. And they're just going to give us a rundown on the character and fitness process here in New York State. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to them. All right, can everybody uh, see and hear me all right? Bevan, you can hear me? All right. Um, so I just want to thank Bevan and uh, the Student Bar Association for asking us to present today. Um, as indicated, my name is uh, Anthony Moore. I'm the Director of Attorney Admissions here for uh, the Appellate Division Third Department. Uh, here with me today is my fellow court attorney, uh, Courtney Green. Um, we're both Albany Law grads. It doesn't seem that long ago that we went through the same process, although I think it's been 15 years, so I'm, I'm clearly not as uh, young as I make myself out to be anymore. Um, so we're here basically uh, to discuss the character and fitness portion of seeking admission to the, the bar in New York State. Uh, this is a process that you know sometimes flies under the radar uh, when students are studying for the bar and getting ready for the bar exam. Um, in particular, we're just looking to give you kind of a brief summary of the character and uh, fitness process, kind of what it entails, and uh, highlight some of the common pitfall, pitfalls and just kind of try and lessen some of the anxiety or mystery uh, that might surround the process and kind of help you navigate it in the most efficient way uh, possible. Um, when giving these presentations, I recently gave one, I think, to the incoming 1L class uh, as part of orientation in January. Um, I always just like to highlight kind of right at the outset that uh, the character and fitness process, it's its not an adversarial process. Um, and to the degree that there's like a perception out there that uh, um, that the character and fitness process excludes or precludes admission to a significant number of applicants every year, um, it's simply not the case. So more than 99% of all the applicants and you uh, that are reviewed will uh, ultimately make it through the process, take the oath of office and uh, be su su uh, successfully admitted to the bar. Uh, so just keep that in mind as we get into the weeds here a little bit through today's presentation about what the character and fitness process um, entails. Um, so what are the requirements? Um, applicants for admission to the bar, uh, they must show that they possess the personal qualities uh, required to practice law, that they have the necessary character to justify the trust and confidence in clients, the public, and what the legal system will put in them. Um, in New York, although it's the Court of Appeals, the state's highest court, which um, which sets the rules for admission, um, it's actually each of the individual four appellate divisions in the state uh, that actually have the statutory duty to ensure that each applicant for the bar possesses the requisite character and fitness for admission. admission. Uh, specifically, it's the appellate division's committees on character and fitness uh, in each department who will review an applicant's past conduct uh, to ensure that they're honest, trustworthy, uh, diligent, and reliable. Um, this statutory mandate, which is set forth in a Judiciary Law Section 90, to those of you who want to look it up, uh, it's in place largely for protection of the public. Um, you know, as a society and as a state, uh, we want those who apply for admission to the bar to demonstrate that they are honest, trustworthy, diligent, and reliable, and that they have the present character and fitness to provide confidence to the public, um, that they have the requisite character credentials to practice law. Um, and this sort of makes sense, right, for what we do. Um, as attorneys, we can act as fiduciaries. Uh, we handle clients' confidences and secrets. Uh, we maintain escrow accounts and perhaps large sums of clients' money. Um, we have access to privileged information. And as officers of the court, uh, we have access to the court system and other quasi-judicial or administrative um, bodies that directly implicate individuals' liberty interests, familial interests, custody, termination of parental rights, real property, basically the full gamut of, of uh, legal interactions. Um, so the character and fitness um, investigation or, or examination 
essentially does serve as a gatekeeper function. Uh, and we admit eligible applicants and we scrutinize and in a very few instances, you know, deny entry into the legal uh, profession for those who can't demonstrate that they presently have the requisite character and fitness for admission to the bar. Um, so what is this process? Um, although it's an objective process or we try and keep it an objective process, um, by its very nature, judging someone's character is a subjective determination. You know, uh, how do you judge somebody who you've never met or never had to interact with? Um, in New York, that burden falls on the applicant to establish that they have the requisite character and fitness. And uh, to that end, it's largely an applicant and application driven process. Um, to some degree, you've already started the process as part of your law school application. Uh, you were required to be completely forthcoming about your backgrounds and disclose certain behavior or conduct uh, that may have a bearing not only on your admission to law school, uh, but ultimately your character and fitness to become members of the legal profession. Uh, so your disclosures on your law school application will follow you through to the character and fitness process. Um, so keeping that in mind, I always like to recommend that in preparation for the process, it might be a good idea for you to obtain a copy of your law school application where you made your character and fitness disclosures. Uh, make sure that you've been completely forthcoming with all the uh, disclosure that was requested of you at, on that application. Um, and if necessary, amend your application to law school now. Um, one of the things we will look for is kind of inconsistencies between your law school application and then your bar application. And, and we will ask about those. Um, so you wanna make sure that they're consistent throughout, uh, which is a good tip that we give. Um, other than that, the application process for us, um, the first step in the application process, it's uh, seeking admission to the bar, uh, for the seeking admission to the bar is obtaining certification from the State Board of Law Examiners. Um, or BOL, as uh, Courtney and I will probably refer to it, um, during your 3L year. Basically, now you'll register for the bar exam with the State Board of Law Examiners uh, by submitting proof that you have the requisite uh, law school study to sit for the exam. Um, certification thereafter um, requires that you attain not only a passing grade on the bar exam, but also that uh, you've received a passing grade on the, uh, the multi-state professional responsibility exam, the NPRE, um, and that you took the New York law course and passed the New York law exam. So once you submit proof to BOL that you've done all of those and met those requirements, they will certify you for admission to one of the four appellate divisions in the state. Um, and they'll certify you to the one, uh, it'll be based on the address that you provided when you registered for the exam. So keep that in mind. Um, and that starts the second step of the process, which actually gets us involved, uh, the, the, the court, um, which is submission of your application for admission to the bar. So within three years uh, from the date that you pass the bar exam, uh, you're required to submit an application for admission to the appellate division in which you were certified by BOL. Um, this is a uniform application. Uh, it's used by all four departments in the state and it's part of the multi-department application package uh, that you can um, obtain or view on the Board of Law Examiner's website, which uh, it's newyorkbarexam.org. Um, I encourage you to check out that website, not only for registration to the bar, but take a look at um, under like the admissions information, you can click on all of the forms that are necessary. It's probably a good idea to get familiar with those application forms and see what they actually uh, require. Um, the application packet requires applicants to provide extensive information about their personal backgrounds, including your educational history, employment history, um, your military record, encounters with law enforcement, if you have any, um, bar admissions in other states, if that's applicable, uh, civil, maybe civil litigation matters you were involved with, um, any child support obligations that you may have, uh, personal financial matters and defaults, uh, and maybe any other professional licenses that you obtained, among other things. Um, so it's a fairly extensive application package. Um, you should keep in mind as you're filling it out that uh, pursuant to Judiciary Law 90 sub 10, 
um, all of the information that you provide in that application or any supporting documentation uh, is confidential or deemed confidential. So we don't disclose it to any outside agencies unless in a rare instance there was another order of the court, which is something that I have, uh, I've never seen before. Um, so as a function of each appellate division, so the review of your application is actually discharged through both the Committees on Character and Fitness and our office, the Office of Attorney Admissions, who uh, Courtney and I work for in the third department. So just by way of background, um, in the third department, the Committee on Character and Fitness are comprised of uh, 150 volunteer attorneys that work and live within the third department. Um, the third department is unique amongst the appellate divisions in the state because we accept applications for not only the 28 counties which comprise our geographical or our jurisdictional boundary, um, but also all out-of-state and international applicants. So we actually get the most um, applications of any appellate division. Uh, I think in 2022, we admitted 3,662 applicants. So just keep that in mind, we process between 3,500 and 4,000 applications. Um, another thing to keep in mind with that number is that when fully staffed, our office here at the Office of uh, Attorney Admissions is comprised of only seven people. So there's two attorneys, Courtney and I, and we have five administrative support staff. So we're the ones who'll be looking. It's not some big 25, 50 person office where if you call a number for help and then don't like the answer and you call back, you're not going to get somebody different. It's, 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 it's a small office. Um, and we essentially serve as the liaison between you, the applicant, and the committees on character and fitness who will review your application. Um, so how do you file and who does your application go to? Um, I always like to stress that this is an application to the court seeking your admission to the bar. So you should sort of treat it as such. It's, um, it's as if you were appearing before court, but you're representing yourself, essentially. Um, your application should be submitted after you've received your notice of certification uh, from the Board of Law Examiners. Um, and all applications uh, in the third department, which is a little bit different than maybe some of the other departments. So you'll want to check the other departments if you're certified there. But we are currently accepting all of our applications electronically via email um, in PDF format. And so the formatting requirements that you'll be needed to follow for that submission, they'll be available on the third department's website um, or our court's website. Um, upon submission of your application, the admissions office, Courtney and I and staff, we review your application. Um, we ensure that it's uh, the application is fully complete, that it has all the requisite supporting documentation, uh, which in addition to a 20-page, 45-question application questionnaire, um, also requires submission of uh, two affidavits of good moral character, um, law-related employment affirmations from any legal employment you had, including any internships, um, externships, or you know, TAing for a professor, um, also requires submission of the pro bono form demonstrating compliance with the 50 hour pro bono requirement, uh, the skills competency and the professional values form, which is generally for all of you, I think will be certified by Albany Law or the school, um, and a form law school certificate, which you will have to provide to Albany Law, who will then submit it directly to us. I apologize, I'm getting over a cold here. Um, so anyway, this is a substantial amount of information. Uh, that's got to be compiled. The directions for completing it can be found right on the third department's website. Uh, the instructions are explicit and they're detailed. And I encourage you to, to read them more than once before you start filling out the application to make sure you do it correctly the first time. Um, that will save you time. It will save us time. And it will re result in less delays uh, to your application process. Um, each application is administratively reviewed on a first come first serve basis by our office. Um, if it's incomplete, our office will send you a needs letter uh, requesting any additional information that wasn't supplied. Um, 
Once your application is deemed administratively complete, our office then refers it to a member of the Committee on Character and Fitness for the actual character and fitness investigation uh, and review. Um, the character and fitness member will determine if a personal interview is necessary. Um, Pre-COVID, uh, it used to be that every individual applicant, and this is only applicable to the third department, the other departments might be a little bit different, but pre-COVID, every individual applicant received a personal interview. Uh, that's not the case in the, anymore. Our court now permits our committee members to waive the personal interview requirement if they don't deem it to be necessary. Um, so if these interviews are required, um, they're currently being conducted uh, via telephone or via online platforms like Zoom here or, uh, or Teams perhaps. Um, personal interviews are generally informal. They consist of a conversation between you and a committee member uh, who may ask you questions that uh, about your character and fitness application um, and anything contained therein. So you should be intimately familiar with the material in your application, including any uh, addendums that you might have filed in support thereof. Um, following the interview, if the committee member doesn't have any character and fitness concerns, um, they'll certify you for admission and you'll be able to participate in our next admission ceremony. Um, presently, our court, um, and again, all of the appellate divisions are a little bit different about their admission ceremonies. Um, our court uh, is conducting five uh, admission ceremonies per year. We do two in person in June or uh, in January and then June, and we're doing uh, three remote ceremonies. Um, at the ceremony uh, is important because that's where you take the uh, attorney oath of office. And it's also where you sign your name to the official role of attorneys. It's uh, an index card that we keep here on record. And that's uh, ultimately conveyed to the uh, Office of Court Administration's Attorney Registration Unit for your attorney registration and your biennial filing requirements, which you don't have to worry about yet, but it's your $375 payment uh, you have to make as an attorney every two years. Um, where a particular application does present um, character and fitness concerns that are maybe more serious or more egregious, uh, an attorney in our office, Courtney or I, uh, will review the file. Uh, we'll determine if there's any additional information or documentation or clarification that might be needed uh, from the applicant. Um, and then we will schedule those particular matters for an interview before a three-member subcommittee, which is just three of our committee members. Um, this subcommittee interview is just like a single-person interview. Um, it's still informal. It's still going to be questions about uh, character and fitness concerns raised in your application. Uh, it's just conducted before three members, and then they will determine whether to uh, approve you for admission or they can refer you to a hearing if there's still issues. If you're approved, you'll be able to participate in the next admission ceremony. Um, however, if a formal hearing is required, um, you'll be provided notice of the hearing from our office. It will inform you of the matters that are going to be uh, inquired into at the hearing. Um, and that hearing is conducted before a different three-person subcommittee, so now you're into six committee members. Um, at a hearing, there's a stenographer present, a transcript is made, uh, you can call witnesses, you can enter evidence into the record if need be. Um, and then following the hearing, the three-person subcommittee will render a formal report to our office or the court within 60 days, and the subcommittee can recommend approval, disapproval of your application, or a deferral of your application for a period of um, not more than six months. Um, the subcommittee's report and the transcript is then sent to a quorum of our committee. That's 15 more attorneys. So at this point, 21 attorneys will have reviewed your application. Um, if there's character and fitness concerns, this won't apply to most of you. Um, and the quorum can unanimously approve your application. If they do, you'll be allowed to participate in the next admission ceremony. Um, if the quorum is not unanimous in recommending approval, 
Um, it will be referred to the court and you'll be given notice and uh, an opportunity to comment uh, further if you wish. And then lastly, if the quorum decision is adverse, basically recommending your denial for admission, um, you'll then have 60 days to make an application to the court uh, for admission, notwithstanding the quorum's decision. Um, so I know that's a lot, but that's kind of the process in a nutshell. Um, I always just like to kind of stress, like I did at the beginning, that the large majority of applicants, literally 99.9% really, um, are going to be approved without the need for a personal interview or a hearing. Uh, but you should just be generally aware of the process, know where you are at. Um, but for now, I think uh, I'll leave it there. I'll pass it to Courtney. And uh, she's going to discuss some of the factors and uh, that are considered when they're weighing um, an applicant's conduct or uh, behavior disclosed on their application. So thank you. And we'll take more questions afterwards. So, Thanks, Tony. So I'm just going to talk about some conduct that might raise some concerns in the admissions process. Uh, my part of the presentation is brief, but if you have any questions as we go along, please feel free to just interrupt. So character and fitness is not easily defined. And as Tony mentioned before, it is a fairly subjective process, but fortunately there is some guidance out there that we can point you to. The American Bar Association has adopted a code of recommended standards for bar examiners and both the Office of Attorney Admissions and the Committees on Character and Fitness um, use this code to weigh conduct disclosed in an application for admission. According to the code, a lawyer should be one whose record of conduct justifies the trust of clients, adversaries, courts, and others with respect to the professional duties owed to them. A record showing a significant deficiency in the honesty, trustworthiness, diligence, or reliability of an applicant may constitute a basis of denial of admission. So this code sets out some relevant conduct that may be cause for further inquiry in the character and fitness process. And the first is unlawful conduct. And something to keep in mind here is that New York's criminal history question is fairly broad and it requires disclosure of conduct that you might consider minor, such as traffic violations. And also even convictions and charges that have been expunged or sealed still need to be disclosed. And the relevant question on the application is question 26. And it was actually just recently amended. I'm not sure if you've heard about this um, and went into effect last week. So in a little bit, Tony is going to give you just a brief synopsis of this amendment. Academic misconduct is also considered. For example, a violation of a school's honor code may reflect negatively on an applicant's character. And this is especially true of law students who are expected to understand that, you know, any kind of misconduct can jeopardize their ability to practice law. Employment-related misconduct is also considered. Uh, just be aware that you will have to submit a law-related employment affirmation for each one of your um, legal employers. And sometimes the comments on those affirmations raise character and fitness concerns that need to be further delved into. Acts involving dishonesty, fraud, deceit, or misrepresentation also raise concerns. Issues relating to fraud might include filing false legal claims, making false statements on a, any kind of application, or a conviction of a crime in which intent to defraud is an element. Neglect of financial responsibilities is also something that the court is concerned with, uh, primarily because mishandling client funds is a frequent cause of professional discipline. 
And the relevant question here is question 40, and that inquires whether you owe any debt for $300 or more, which is past due for over 90 days. And the keywords here are past due because the mere presence of debt is not an issue if you're current on your payment obligations. And of course, the committees realize that most applicants do have significant loan debt. Violations of court orders, including child support orders, failure to appear, failure to satisfy judgments, or any other conduct showing a lack of respect to the law are relevant to character and fitness. Also abuse of legal process. So filing frivolous lawsuits or fi filing lawsuits for the primary purpose of harassing litigants or anything that shows lack of respect for the legal system would raise concerns. Evidence of mental or emotional instability or evidence of drug and alcohol dependency. So our application does not require applicants to disclose a diagnosis or treatment, but it still might be inquired into by the Character and Fitness Committee if an applicant has associated concerning conduct disclosed in the application. So for example, if an applicant has a history of DWIs or public intoxication arrests, um, the committee might require the applicant to obtain a substance abuse evaluation just to ensure that he or she doesn't have a problem that would presently impair their ability to practice law. And I just wanna stress that past or present treatment for a condition or impairment, uh, this is viewed favorably by the court and its committees on character and fitness. So if at any time you think that you might benefit from treatment, you're you know, definitely encouraged to seek it as soon as possible. And then finally, misrepresentations or omissions in the application process also raise character and fitness concerns. Um, in fact, I would say that most of the court's admission denials have been based on an applicant's dishonesty or lack of candor during the admissions process. So it's imperative for applicants to be completely candid and honest, and candor really is key. So all of the conduct I just mentioned, they are grounds for further inquiry, but by no means mean that your application for admission will be denied. As Tony mentioned, only a very, very, very small percentage of applicants are denied admission. Um, and each application is reviewed on a case-by-case -case basis. And every single matter itself is reviewed in the context of your entire application. It's a holistic determination and there's no act of misconduct that by itself would preclude an individual from admission. In assessing the weight and significance of all the prior conduct that I just mentioned, the code actually also recommends consideration of a number of factors. And these include the applicant's age at the time of the conduct, the recency of the conduct, the seriousness of the conduct, the cumulative effect of the conduct and any evidence of rehabilitation, the applicant's positive social contributions since the conduct, and the applicant's candor in the admissions process. And again, I just want to stress that all these factors, the applicant's candor and honesty in the admissions process is probably the most important. Um, we've seen time and time again that the failure to disclose an incident of misconduct is often more significant and leads to more serious consequences than the actual act of misconduct itself. So essentially the cover-up is usually worse than the crime. And sometimes applicants with relatively minor incidents in their past who should have just sailed through the process 
unfortunately end up having problems and delays simply because they weren't candid. So all of this means essentially is that if you're unsure whether to disclose something, you should probably just err on the side of caution and disclose. Uh, something else I wanna mention is um, sometimes the committees consider the applicant's attitude towards the admissions process. Uh, some applicants seem to be unaware that doing a sloppy job on their application or not providing complete responses to questions can actually raise character and fitness concerns because it indicates that they're not taking the process seriously. So it's a good idea to try to provide prompt and complete responses to all requests for information and also be respectful to everyone that you interact with during the admissions process because as Tony stated, this is a formal application to the court. And the last thing I wanna mention um, is advanced rulings. So the appellate division rules, they allow law students to petition the court for an advanced ruling as to whether certain past conduct, and it only includes felony or misdemeanor convictions, public office or employment suspensions or dismissals, or dishonorable discharges from the armed forces. Um, whether any of those would operate to disqualify the individual from being admitted to practice. And this advanced ruling process is essentially mimics the admissions process that Tony outlined previously. So submitted materials, including a character and fitness application, are referred to the Committee on Character and Fitness. They do an interview, an investigation, and then following that, the committee would make a recommendation to the court. I just want to know that these advanced rulings are very rare. I think we probably haven't had one in the past 10 years or so. And to the extent that they are made, they usually involve egregious conduct. But I just wanted to mention that this procedure is available. So if you have any questions, just feel free to reach out to our office. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just jump in on what, uh, what Courtney said regarding um, the interactions with law enforcement or the criminal history question, which is question 26. Um, it was recently amended um, and those amendments went into effect on 4-3. So the character and fitness questionnaire that you fill out will have the amended um, question on it. Um, you know, generally question 26 uh, was intentionally written very broad to encapsulate all sorts of conduct, including um, arrests that might not result in conviction. Um, there was concerns and there's ongoing concerns um, that persons of color were being um, were being adequately addressed as becoming members of the profession. And that was a consideration that the courts took seriously. Um, the New York State Bar Association and the New York City Bar Associations came out with uh, recommendations for changing um, question 26. Um, it went through the administrative board, which is um, each of the four appellate divisions and their presiding justices and certain um, amendments were made. Uh, the most notably of which is juvenile delinquency adjudications in family court, which are non-criminal, uh, no longer need to be disclosed on the application, and um, arrests that didn't result in a conviction no longer need to be um, disclosed in response to an application. And those are the, the major differences from the previous version of question 26. Um, traffic violations within the last 10 years still need to be disclosed. Parking violations do not so just read the question very carefully. It's it's fairly self-explanatory. Um, and, and like Courtney said, it's um, you know, this isn't an adversarial process. And so, you know, if there's a question of like, hey, should I disclose this or you're like you're on the fence, um, 
one, I would always encourage you to, to talk to somebody else, either at the law school or an attorney, if you're if you're that curious or if you're that concerned about it. But erring on the side of disclosure, you don't want something to come back um, and, and bite you after the fact for, you know, well, I made this distinction and therefore I didn't disclose. And, you know, I thought I was on safe ground. You don't want to have to make those um those kind of, you know, picky distinctions um, if, if there's no concern about disclosing it in the first instance. Um, with that, I'll see if, uh, Bevan, if anybody has any questions, um, either in the chat or if you want to unmute and ask questions, we're happy to answer any questions you might have. Uh, this is a good opportunity. This is probably the, the most useful opportunity to have us here in the flesh to answer questions. So, um, so feel free. Um, yeah. So guys, do we have any questions? If you do just raise your hand or just unmute and ask. You know, I'll get I'll get us started if if no one's got one right off the bat. Um, you know, what are some things that you could be doing right now to prepare for the character and fitness um, question? Um, one, as I already said, look at the forms. Go to the Board of Law Examiners website. Check out what they're asking of you. Um, update your law school application if necessary. Go look and see what you put down on your your questionnaire. Make sure it fits what the question was asking for. Um, and then obtain, yeah, obtain a copy of that. Make sure that's consistent with the disclosures that you're going to make on our bar application. That's something that's easily for us to see. And inconsistencies usually lead to, to more inquiries and ergo more delays. Um, Law-related employment affirmations. Um, everybody that you've worked for, uh, you know, whether you did an internship or a summer associate position or a clerkship somewhere, uh, you're going to need to reach back out to those people to get law-related employment affirmations. That's something you can do now. Make some phone calls, make some emails. Um, those are required, you know, and, and sometimes it was a long time ago. Maybe it was six or seven years ago. Maybe rehash those um, those relationships now and reach out and let them know, hey, I'm going to be taking the bar exam. I'm going to need this. Uh, most employers will understand. They've been through the process. They know that that's something um, that's required of uh, interns and uh, clerks and summer associates and stuff. So, so do that now. Um, in the instance that you do have uh, criminal convictions or uh, traffic violations, don't guess. You might as well go to the source of where you got those and, and get the records, get the police records, get the court records. Um, you may not need to disclose them on the front end, but if if we make another inquiry and say, hey, we need to see something, you're going to want to have it so you can get it back to us quicker. Um, if you can't remember your traffic violation history, go get a driver's history report from the DMV. Um, and, and have those so that your, your answers are accurate. Um, financial issues, um, you know, law students are notoriously poor. Um, <laughs> I, I left law school with a, you know, ton of debt and not a lot of cash coming in until I was admitted to the bar. Um, but if you have past due balances, um, make some inquiries, try and get them so that you're not delinquent. Um, if you have judgments against you, uh, reach out and see if you can't, you know, start a negotiation process. That's something you can get ahead of. Um, you know, everything, if you can't, you can't, obviously, but it, it is something that you have control over to some degree. Um, and so at least have that paperwork available if you need to say, hey, I'm delinquent, but this is what's going on, you know, uh, have that paperwork ready. Um, I don't know, Courtney. Oh, well, I guess we'll see if there's any other questions based on that. So yeah, I just once, oh, sorry. Just wanted to know, um, yeah, I would just try to submit your application or start working on it as soon as possible. 
I submitted mine about 10 years ago and I made the mistake of not starting to prepare until after the bar exam results came out, which turned out to be a big mistake because by the time I submitted my application, the ceremony that I wanted to attend was already full. And then I was in the position of having to explain to my boss why I couldn't attend the next ceremony. So, you know, the fact that you were all here listening to this presentation means that you're obviously getting ahead of it, which is great, but just something I want to note. Well, I actually have a question piggybacking off of that. I know that with our recent grads, there were a number of them that tried to get in during the January ceremony and didn't get their stuff in on time. Roughly when timeline-wise, do you guys want to see everything in um, to the third department in order to get uh, seated for that uh, January ceremony? Sure, I, I can take that one, Courtney. Mm -hmm. um, if you're taking the July bar exam, uh, we've generally been getting the bar results earlier every year. I think two years ago, the bar results came out on October 28th. I think last year, if I'm not mistaken, it was October 20th. Um, so that's the day if you have, if everything's, if you've got everything figured out with the Board of Law Examiners, you pass the MPRE, New York Law Course, New York Law Exam, you'll be certified on that date that you get the passage grade. So that's when you can submit your application to, to, to the third department. I encourage you to to be ready to do that um, as of that date. Because as I said, we try and review them on a first come first serve basis. Um, our January ceremony um, is an in-person ceremony. So being that it's in-person, we only have about 500 give or take spots that we can fill. Um, review of an application, I, I don't like to give a tight timeline because there's ebbs and flows in the number of applications that we receive at any given time. Um, upon receipt, it's administratively reviewed that could take a couple, two, three, four, up to a month to review by our staff. Um, if there's character and fitness concerns, those might get kicked to an attorney, Courtney or I, and that will add a couple more weeks to that. Um, if we have to request additional information, obviously the time switches back to the applicant to get us the information timely. Um, and then that information will need to be reviewed again by Courtney and I. Um, so it, it can take a few months. And then if you do have more serious character and fitness concerns, you, um, you should anticipate in your head that you might have to do a subcommittee interview um, and then potentially a hearing. But again, that's a, that's a small number of cases. So I can't pinpoint it exactly, but you should be prepared when you get the bar results and be certified on that date to submit your applications. So I'm actually going to ask a second question here unless anybody else has a question, but. Um... Actually, sorry, Bevan, I'll, I'll, I'll just interrupt again. We also are, I, I realized this year we had a gap from January until April, and April was our next ceremony, which was remote. Um, we are taking into consideration adding um, additional remote ceremonies. So we only have three scheduled now, but uh, but we are aware of that gap between January and April perhaps being too long for some employers and some law school graduates. So uh, that is being taken under consideration, but no, no decision has been made yet. Awesome. Um... So the second question that I have is, if you're like me, and I know that a number of students have this issue, they might have two addresses, one in a different department. Um, so they might spend most of their time here and they're looking to seek admission in the third department as opposed to maybe in the second or first or the fourth for that matter. Um, how do you determine which address determines which one you're gonna to apply to? Would you have to go over to the DMV and switch everything over to the third department or do you get to elect that? So, and Courtney, you can step in here if I if I say this wrong. Um, the address that you give to the Board of Law Examiners when you register for the bar exam is the department that you're going to be um, certified to. So when you're registering for the bar exam, 
Um, you're going to want to give them the address where you reside, where you want to be certified to. Now, if you register for the bar exam and you give your Albany address, but uh, you know you live in Westchester County, um, you can always amend and update your your address with the Board of Law Examiners, and that's something that um, you know after taking the bar exam, if you you know you live in Albany, you take the bar exam in Albany in July, and then you move to New York City, you still have time before the bar exam results come out to update your address with the Board of Law Examiners, and you'll want to do that beforehand because otherwise you will be certified to a particular department. And then once you're certified here, the only way that your application will move to another uh, department is you'll have to make a transfer application here, which isn't necessarily a burdensome process, but again, it's a delay um, in your application and review of your application. Did I did I get that right, Courtney? Yep, that... yep, exactly right. Okay. Um, any other questions from anybody? I have a few. Uh, thank you, Mr. Moore. Thank you, Ms. Green, for your time here today. My name is Professor Dan Bolana. I am the Director of Bar Success here at the institution, and I have a few questions that I actually get from students all the time that I think would be great to, to go over with you all. The first one is, students come to me when they cannot locate an employer. Um, perhaps, and most recently, I had someone who the employer was a solo practitioner who they died, who died. Um, what, what, what recommendations do you have for, for those students? Courtney, I'll let you take that one if you if Yeah, you sure. Um, so usually in that case, we would have the applicant um, submit something to our office in writing, indicating you know their efforts to obtain the affirmation and the reasons why they can't obtain it. Um, you know, if it's from you said it was a situation if someone passed away, we would see if there was anyone else in the firm that can vouch for their uh, period of employment there, even like maybe an HR representative. But, you know, we're understandable. We basically just want to see that efforts were made to obtain the the affirmations. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'll, I'll just quickly add to that. Sorry, Professor. Um, one email is is not sufficient efforts. So, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I know that we live in an email world now. And so it's easy to just send off six emails and then say, I emailed them. They didn't get back to me. Um, you're going to need to make multiple inquiries and you might actually have to pick up a phone and call people and, and you know, do the due diligence that it takes. It is a required part of the application and we would be waiving it. And obviously circumstances happen all the time. Unresponsive um, attorneys that you may have worked for, people people pass away, people move to new forms, move out of state. Uh, we understand that, but you do have to do your due diligence on the front end and then provide documentation to us showing, hey, this is what I did, I can't get it. And then we have no problem waiving it under those circumstances. Thank you so much. Um, I have a few few additional ones. I know that things have evolved since COVID in terms of whether or not students need to obtain wet signatures on affidavits or email signatures. Could you elaborate a little bit on, on the position from the third department? Sure. So we're currently accepting, um, once COVID hit, there was, and this is posted on our website, um, there was an order signed by the four uh, presiding justices of the four appellate divisions essentially allowing us the old rules provided that everything needed to be a hard copy submission with a wedding signature. Um, Post-COVID, pursuant to that memo, which you'll see right on our website, I think the other three appellate divisions have it posted as well, that's still in effect. So um, um, so we are, and our department now is requiring all uh, applications to be submitted online. So we will accept a digital copy but as part of that, you have to make a representation that the digital copy is an authentic uh, 
an authentic copy of the original. That's a required thing. If you don't have that, we will ask for it. Um, and then we request the right to uh, request copies of the originals if if we need them for whatever reason. Thank you. Uh, the last question I have is, I work with students who get to the application and they don't have enough space for, say, employment, you know, to, to list employment. Um, I know that there's a process in terms of what they should do. Could you elaborate on what students should do if they don't have enough space on the actual written application? Sure, Courtney, I'll let you take that one if you want. Sure. So uh, you can add a writer to the application. Uh, you know, that's signed by you, or you can just submit additional pages of the application. Either way is completely sufficient. Thank you. Yeah, you can you can print out, you know, question 14 is the employment. It's uh, just print out an extra question 14 and you can uh, you can attach it. Yeah, right. 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 Any other questions? It's not a sufficient reason to say, and we do see this with some frequency, that you didn't have enough room to fill out and that's why you didn't disclose uh we do see that that's not a valid excuse you will get asked to to fill it back in yeah um do we have any other questions here all right and looking at the chat i don't see any either um so seeing none i think we'll call it there um mr moore miss green thank you so much for coming out um i want to thank everybody that made this possible um this uh was recorded so i will be sending out the recording so thank you so much thank you thank you